That's right. It is Canucks talk in the late afternoon here. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance. Of course, Trance are also covering the team for The Athletic. Canucks talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drancer, good to have you back in studio, man. Thanks, man. was a harrowing escape from Buffalo. <laughs> I, uh, I, I skipped availability. Like, I, I was so concerned about getting out that my driver called me with about a minute and a half to go in the game. And I said, provided there's not overtime, I'm just going to meet you right away. And when I got in, there had been so, – so there's the lake effect when you're in Buffalo, yeah. right? And these squalls that occasionally hit during those particularly dramatic and occasionally dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, snowstorms, like – one minute you'll be in the middle of a squall and you'll have like two feet of visibility and the winds will be, you know, near hurricane force. And it's also, you know, minus 15. Like it's a really weird thing. And my driver said when he first got there, he was actually scared because an awning was blowing down the street and there was no visibility in the middle of the squall cleared up just long enough for me to get out and across the border by car Canucks obviously not quite so lucky they they had to overnight there um but yeah I mean it was a it was a very very strange experience and that was Saturday and the real bad weather didn't even kick until Sunday right I mean it was Saturday Saturday night and and then into Sunday but I also had the the funny experience of being at the Marriott and I was checking out and I said to them look look you know if anything happens and I get stuck here am I do you guys have any vacancy um, just so that I have a sense of it. And they said, no, you know, the Bills game's tomorrow. And just then, all their phones started ringing. I quickly checked Twitter and saw that the governor had announced <laughs> They had postponed it. And, and, uh, and I sort of showed the, uh, you know, nice woman at the at the front desk the, the tweet, and, and she, like, looked over at the phones all ringing, and she said, yeah, well, you know what? You'll probably be okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that game postponed until uh, today. Right now. Right now, we are currently watching it. Great sports day. Everything's all mixed up here at the station. Sports Christmas, man. Of course, with the Canucks playing uh, the Blue Jackets earlier today at 10 a.m. But uh, basketball on throughout the day, hockey on throughout the day, and, of course, two play- NFL playoff games. So, uh, Drancer will do his best to remain focused on the show. But you oh, might, easy. You might easy. hear some... <laughs> No, no. Some parlay-related outbursts at some point. We'll see. No, I've already had a good day. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Archie Baines joins us at 4.30. He's going to represent the Abbotsford Canucks at the AHL All-Star Game. We'll talk to him about that and his fantastic season down in Abbotsford. Uh, Kevin Woodley joins us later on the show, 5.30. Loaded always, show. Always a pleasure to chat uh, with Kevin Woodley, our guy. But we do it every day. Let's start off with the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? It is the whiteboard for today, January 15th, your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks. And look, we're uh, we're like the third show that's been on after the game at this point, right? There was the post-game show. There was Josh doing the people's show, the post-post-game show. We don't need to belabor. I think you have a fresh take, though. <laughs> what? Look, tell everyone your fresh take about the game. About the game? Yeah. What did I – like – who cares? That's my fresh take. Yeah, that's super fresh. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, right, we don't need to belabor it. 
It was seventh game of a seven-game road trip. They had, like, bizarre travel problems in the middle of a blizzard getting in. 10 a.m. Pacific start time, although they've been on East Coast time for a while now, but still early start time, and they played like all of those things were true. They kind of slept, walked through it, and got a point. It's like, okay. Yeah, 5-1-1 one, and one on the trip. Uh, it's it's hard to think of a game that's less meaningful. Yes. In terms of what we can draw from it. You know, the, the Blue Jackets, though, are very not good. Mm-hmm. Very not good. And I think there's a world where you could have been like, hey, that you know, that's a disappointing end to the trip if the Canucks hadn't secured eleven to fourteen points and also put on like the best show on ice. Yeah. You know, over the course of two weeks on the eastern seaboard. I mean, yeah, I I'm with you. This it's is just, a, like, this is a shrug your shoulders. Y- you could go through and pick out a lot of things that you didn't like in the Canucks performance, but I mean, realistically, I, the question to me isn't, okay, what did they do in that game? It's how likely is any of it to carry over into future mm. games? And I just think the circumstances are so specific as to why that performance happened that I don't really think you can draw a lot of conclusions from it. I get you know, people are always going to be upset about losses. I understand that. You know, hey, fans are – the standards are rising for fans here now. But ultimately, it's the last game of a seven-game road trip. And to me, the real and headline – And they lost in a shootout. It's and really, they lost in a shootout. It's really a tie. They lost a coin flip. Yeah. Yeah, so come on. It's not like they got blown out. They got a point. They lost in a shootout. What are you going to do? Yeah. It happens. They drop points. Good teams drop points all the time on the road. So the headline for me isn't really about the loss today. One last thing just to say about it. It also was a game that mattered a lot more to the Blue Jackets, and you could tell Mm. in terms of their energy level, in terms of the way they were forechecking, in terms of Elvis Merzlikens' (laughs) over-the-top celebration (laughs) after the victory, and then his commentary. after it as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, this is a guy who's been on the trade block. He hasn't been playing much, right? Like, it's not as much about the Canucks as it is about Elvis Merzlikens' particular circumstances over the course of the past two weeks where he's kind of lost his job to Tarasov and been kept on ice awaiting a trade and on and on. So to come back and have like a triumphant victory over this team that's been picking their teeth with all goaltenders, like to the point that their own goalie is joking about it. Like, love seeing other goalies struggle about these guys that uh, struggling against these guys that torch me at practice, right? To have that sort of performance, you can understand why it mattered so much to him. But this is also just a reminder, like for the Canucks, you have multiple travel delays on this trip. Mm-hmm. It's been logistically challenging. It's tiring. You know, you, you've been all over the place. You've played far bigger games against more marquee opponents on bigger stages. This is the last one. You just want to get home, right? It's a tough game. And, and then you bump into an opponent who is absolutely not content to take, like, a gentleman's agreement. Let's both play at 60%, you know, contest. That's what happened. Heavy lies the crown, right? Like, when you're mm. at the top of the standings, you're going to encounter games like that. That's the only other thing that I thought was notable was it felt like the purest expression of a vague concept we've talked about in the past, which is now that the Canucks are playing like this, right, they've, they've got a target on their back. Mm-hmm. I think we saw that this afternoon in Columbus. Yeah, the stakes are different for the two teams, right? And Columbus oh, yeah. is, like, looking at this as a chance to prove themselves and a chance to, like, gain some momentum, whereas the Canucks can kind of shrug their shoulders and take the point and go home very, very happy. And You're you know, Columbus. <laughs> again, for me, the headline really today is not anything about the Canucks and the Blue Jackets' result. It's that the Canucks finish the road trip 5-1-1 one, and one, and are coming home with a very different outlook, I think, from when they left on the road trip and even after that first game against the Blues, right? And, you know, you and I last week talked a lot about the performances we were seeing with the lotto line uh, reunited, and that's still the story, is just with this road trip solidifying, I think, their status as 
Stanley Cup contenders in the, in this league. And, you know, we'll get into the playoff odds and where they sit in the standings and all those things a little bit later. But you just look at how they position themselves relative to their division, the conference, these recent performances. And that is the clear story to me is this road trip feels like I don't want to say a turning point because they're obviously having uh, a really, really successful season even before this road trip. But it feels like something we'll look back on at the end of the season and say, okay, this is when things started to get really, really serious. I think I think you're right, especially in terms of national attention, right? Playing yep. on the East Coast like that and then just, you know, the repeated Tomahawk jams on the Rangers and the Penguins, right? I, I mean, I do think that that changed the discourse around this team. and And I think it was amplified, too, by – the eight-game losing streak that the Kings finally just broke, right? The injury mm-hmm. to Jack Eichel and Vegas being 3-8 and eight in their last 11. By the way, Vegas having a nightmare first period against the Predators, although last I checked, the score was still level, but the shot clock was crooked uh-huh. in Nashville's favor. So, you know, I, I think when you consider that part of it, um, you know, that, that I think has cemented this team's perch, right? Now it looks like they're not just – now it's not just hey they're first in the Pacific. It's like they're real prohibitive favorites. Like it's yeah. going to take a lot. They've they've they have separation now. It's going to take a lot for someone to reel them in. And you know what's amazing by the way is that they're the third hottest team in their own division. How is that possible? It's impossible to imagine that anyone is hotter than this Atomic Canucks team. And yet the Kraken and the Oilers yep. are like rolling along at a 900 point percentage <laughs> dating back like multiple weeks. I mean, the Oilers are just on another planet right now. Yeah, it's crazy. And we'll, again, we'll talk to, uh, about the Oilers a little bit when we get to the playoff odds section of things. But yeah, they've won 10 straight. And even, yeah, you're cracking 9-1 in their last uh, in their last 10 right now. I like to say that the season is long enough for every take you've had before the season to have a moment where it looks right. <laughs> you know? Yes. So that's the that I feel like that's the point in the season we're at now. Where hey, like, even Calgary is playing better. Calgary's only two points behind Seattle. Dude, and Jacob Markstrom's Jacob Markstrom has been really, like really good. Slaying it. Yeah. It's amazing. So there you go. Every every that's I like that way of looking at it. Every take has its moment in the sun. It's yeah, chance season's to just shine so long. At some point. Now, in terms of other headlines, I do think it's also as much as I, you know, am sitting here saying, like, look, the story of right now of today for the Canucks is them coming home as kind of conquering heroes from this road trip and maybe a new phase of how we look at this team starting. You know, I also think it's worth digging in a little bit to when we talk about the lotto line, right? There's two things that have to happen for it to stay together. Cause we heard at the beginning when they were put together, but talk, it was kind of reluctant uh, about it, or at least to keep them together long-term, obviously they have to be excellent. But the other big thing is that the rest of the lineup has to get it done. Right. And, they have to do enough that Tokic says, okay, we can load up uh, up top and not worry about what we're losing elsewhere from our other three lines. And I do think it's worth digging in a little bit to what you would kind of call the second line, although really it's a, a 2A, 2B situation with the suitor Mikheyev kuzmenko line and the Bluger-Garland-Joshua line. But, you know, you look at that and the situation Andre Kuzmenko in particular is in now, right? And he's getting... On this road trip, you know, after the healthy scratch, I think it was in St. Louis, getting regular minutes with that line, you know, not being uh, not being sat down on the bench, has a chance to drive scoring, and you look at it, no points in seven games for Andre Kuzmenko. I don't think those three players were on the ice for a goal together uh, in the, in on this road trip, and the underlying numbers are fine. It's not as if they're killing the team out there. They're getting crushed, but I do look at it and think, 
At some point, the production has to be there. And Kuzmenko in particular, this is kind of his chance to be the guy driving offense on a line. He has to find a way to produce. He has to find a way to create. And I don't. I think that has implications not just for those three players, but also for how long Rick Tockett is willing to keep the lotto line together going forward as well. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, the... Buffalo game was one where I really liked Kuzmenko, where I thought you could see signs of him being a driver uh, in some ways, like in some meaningful ways, which is something I'm generally skeptical of, right? Like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't think you can expect Andre Kuzmenko to do on a line what we're seeing Connor Garland do on a line, which is, like, really elevate mm-hmm. a pair of line mates. Uh, I don't think that's a, a reasonable expectation, and yet, you know... I thought that you saw flashes of him being really creative without needing an elite running mate in that Buffalo Sabres game uh, that, I, that I was, you know, I, I took away from, I, I stepped away from that game thinking, hey, that was one of the best games I've seen Kuzmenko play. And then you come into the game today and look, he was fine. I mean, that line was fine. I'm not criticizing any Canucks player for their performance tonight. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that's like a helpful frame at all. But I do think the, you know, I do think when you struggle, there becomes this, like, gravity to struggling, especially when, like, who's struggling on this team, right? Garland to finish, right? I mean, that's just... Although that's that started to turn recently. It started to turn recently, but, I mean, you yeah. know, Gar- Garland... For a long time, that was the case, yeah. Gar- I mean, even even games where he had, um, even, even in this stretch, like, he had eight... Uh, shot attempts or sorry 13 shot attempts eight shots on goal against the New York Islanders and it's not like those were shots on goal from outside or bad angles Mm. right like he could easily have had two goals um you know so I'm just saying like it stands out to us more I think when everyone's converting everything but Garland's not and and Kuzmenko would be the other and so when he like bobbles that feed on the three on three you know it, it it feels like oh here we go again it has a different yeah has a different like tactile feel to it as opposed to the way we should react to it which is hey pucks bounce you know yeah like, it puck, happens ha- it happens it's but- just when it, it feels like it's constantly happening to him and the good stuff that just happens isn't happening to him right and and so it develops this, its own gravity regardless of how well he's playing because i think he's actually played pretty well over the course of this road trip i think he's been fine but i do think there are, that you know, the, the stats that stood out to me, right, when I was looking at this before the show, and this was obviously well back before the road trip, Andre Kuzmenko's last assist was on November 15th. Mm. That's two months ago. Now, obviously, he's come out of the lineup for stretches there, but it's still 21 games he's played without an assist. And look, there bad bounces happen, right? Bad shooting luck, bad finishing from your, your line mates. You know, you by definition, you need help from somebody to earn an assist. But as much as everyone focused on the 39 goals last year, you know, this was also a guy who had a lot of creativity uh, in his arsenal, right, and could set up other his teammates for, for goals. And we just haven't seen that at all. And... You know, this is an opportunity, and look, are Pew Suter and Ilya Mikheyev anyone's ideas of, you know, oh, hey, you're if you're playing with them, you're going to rack up the points? No, of course not. But again, this is what you would hope to, you know, this is a place where you would hope Andre Kuzmenko could kind of develop into that secondary offensive driver, and I think it's worth noting that we haven't seen it really succeed yet. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, one other quick headline here, uh, got to mention. Canucks sending five players, plus head coach Rick Tockett, to the All-Star game coming up in a couple of weeks. Quinn Hughes, of course, already named. Uh, Thatcher Demko, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller. 
Brock Besser, all joining him. An embarrassment of riches for the Canucks organization going to Toronto. More Canucks representatives than the hosts, which is extra sweet because it's in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Enjoy that. Enjoy that, Canucks fans. And Elias Patterson is going to participate in the like revamped, high-stakes, million-dollar uh, prize skills challenge so that should be very very entertaining to me that's gonna be more entertaining than the game probably in all likelihood i mean the canucks content will be great but seeing a competitive guy like elias Pettersson get after it in the context of the uh, the skills competition with that money on the line is going to be really really exciting those are your headlines for today to the broadsheet the rumor roundup section uh, of the whiteboard do you have anything uh, off the top here that you want to get into. There's a, a couple things I want to mention. I, I just thought the note that Elliot Friedman dropped on Donnie and Dolly today about the Canucks being at the nexus of all hockey yep. rumors for the next few weeks, the hellmouth, as it were, um, I just think that's worth noting and enjoying, right? Like, Totally agree. Trade speculation is fun. It doesn't have to be that serious. You know what I mean? Like, trades are hard on families and, and people, right? Like, mm-hmm, but. Mm-hmm. But trade speculation in advance isn't rude. It's just a fun thing for fans to enjoy. And you're going to get a lot of, like, Canucks trade speculation content over the course of the next three, four weeks. Yep. And just, like, savor it. This is probably the first time that this club's been a clear, no doubt, green light buyer since 2012. Right? I mean, you know, they, they bought in 2019 after the Besser injury, but it was more... Like they bought early, they bought in the in the wake of an injury. Mm-hmm. It just felt different. It was that was more like, hey, this young team has taken a step forward. We kind of have to acknowledge it and replace the guy who just got injured, right? You know, because if Besser doesn't get injured that year, I'm not sure they buy anything like as aggressively as they did with Toffoli. Well, and more than the Besser injury, it was like it wasn't until Furland attempted to come back and couldn't make it through a period, right? Mm. And it really became clear where his story was going, which is terribly sad. Right. But it wasn't until then that the club had the flexibility to add. So, you know, we were we just were talking about that team in a totally different way than now where it's like not only should this team buy, but you can throw some caution to the wind, maybe not all caution to the wind, but a fair bit of it. Mm -hmm. It's just different. And that's going to cause this team to be, you know, central. As a as a prospective buyer in just about every trade report you hear for the next six weeks, so just just enjoy it. And I think the soak point, it up. The I first of all, I completely agree because I love uh, having the Canucks at the center. But and the you know Friedman makes a couple of points. One is just the nature of this market is rumors are going to take on a life of their own. There's there's this insatiable demand to hear the talk about the trade rumors and the rumblings and the speculation and all of that. So that's going to fuel it. But then the other thing Friedman had to say on Donnie and Dolly was look who's the head of, of hockey ops here? It's Jim Rutherford. And his MO, and you and I have talked about this a lot, is, as in the words of Elliot Friedman, Rutherford likes to identify players and get them early, right? So it's not just that they're in a clear position to buy and they're in this hothouse hockey market where there's going to be tons of interest in what they're doing. This is an aggressive hockey executive who is not going to be afraid to make a move. You know, you said six weeks. It could be two weeks. It could be three weeks before he decides to really make a move. Here. No, but you could get the move and still have speculation. Absolutely, that's fair. It's just the speculation becomes touched with, and what else? Yeah, and I just can't. So, I, so, so expand your mind, man. <laughs> expand your mind. I can't. I just can't stop looking at the <laughs> schedule. So they come home. They got a couple days off here, and then it's Arizona, Toronto, who's scuffling a little bit here. Chicago without Connor Bedard, St. Louis, and then Columbus again. That that's five games at home. Five 
pretty easy games at home where you like their chances to rack up some points, and then you go into the bye week and the all-star break, and again, just knowing Jim Rutherford's track record of liking to do his business early, of being aggressive, you know, if they're 4-1 and one or something in these five games, you tack that onto what they just did on the road, I feel like it's going to be very, very uh, enticing for the Canucks front office to go make a move at that <laughs> at that point. Let's just put it that way. So I am with Friedman. I think there's uh, they're the team to watch here coming up. Yeah, uh, and I still think you can take it one step further, right? It's not just that Rutherford moves early, right? He moves early on established stars. Mm. And I really think do not underrate that part of it, right? We talk about big swings. You talk about needs. Rutherford doesn't move early to bring in your Ilya Labushkin's tier depth defender. Right. He moves early to bring in established stars, usually forwards. Right? Like, that's that's the Rutherford MO. And, uh, and that's good fun. Let's go. That would be exciting. Let's do it. I'm all for it. Uh, no lineup notes today. Obviously, the team played. We'll see how they end up lining up against Arizona on Thursday. Playoff forecast. So, this is not updated as of the Blue Jackets game, but coming into today, you know, Canucks obviously with a 99% chance to make the playoffs uh, per Dom Lucision's model at the Athletic. couple things in, you know, in other races, they're now projected to finish with 109 points. The only team above them in that category is the Jets, who are projected to finish with 111, 109, three-way tie for second, the Canucks, Avs, Bruins, all, all projected to finish with 109. So the Canucks right there at the top of the league in terms of where they're expected to finish uh, in their point total. And now up, all the way up, to a 50% chance to win the Pacific Division <laughs> transfer. They've opened up a significant lead on the field in this category. And actually, the most remarkable thing about it, the model actually has Edmonton as the second most likely to win the division at 22%. And that's big because like, we could easily be looking at a situation here where the Canucks and the Oilers are 1-2 in some order in the Pacific Division, which I think would be great news for the Canucks because it means you're not playing Connor McDavid in the first round of the playoffs if that's how it ends up. The Pacific Division gauntlet is one to be mindful of. Mm -hmm. And if it shakes out in the right way for this team, that would be big. That would be Miracle Huge. in Manchester quality for the 1982 team, right? I mean, the, the, the most frequent source of playoff luck is ducking the matchup you need to duck. Yeah. I think it's really important that people remember that. Pacific Division winners, odds. So let's move to the gambling odds. The Canucks are now minus 105 favorites Woo! to win the Pacific Division at some books. You can get them as low as one minus 125. They're plus money elsewhere, but I mean, the places where they're plus money, the books where they're plus money, it's like plus 300 for the Kings, plus 400 for the Oilers, plus 460 for the Vegas Golden Knights, who's, um, you know, they've been dinged pretty hard by the Eichel injury in, in terms of how the betting markets are reacting to this. And yet, and I think this is worth noting, while, while some books have the Canucks, you know, plus 900, for example, to win the Stanley Cup, which would be, you know, right up there with the Avalanche, unbelievably, on average, right? Uh, if you take a, a cross-section of, you know, five or six of the most popular books uh, in North America, 13th still. Like, for some reason, the Canucks' Stanley Cup odds are trailing behind their division, division winning odds, yeah. their their individual awards odds. Um, and when something is inexplicable like that, what does that mean? There's opportunity if you're a believer, right? So, I uh, just wanted to spotlight that, you know, this team's gone into, the, into minus money. Minus money 
in the Pacific, and yet their Stanley Cup odds are climbing far more slowly as the market is is still slow to believe um, in this team's sort of upper register ceiling. And I think just uh, before we wrap up the whiteboard, to me that also suggests like we talked about this last week, how wide open the field is for the Stanley Cup this year, and maybe there's just a little bit of confusion from the odds makers or difficulty placing the field, right? Because there are so many legitimate candidates, and I think that makes it a little bit uh, more difficult to handicap the field as well. That's the whiteboard for today, January 15th. As mentioned, Abbotsford Canuck and an all-star, AHL all-star this year, Arshdeep Baines will join the show next. Uh, We will chat to him about his all-star campaign and what's going on with his game. That's coming up next year on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.